Genesis 3, we've been on a subject for some uh, weeks now that we're calling, anybody remember the title? Or? The Blame Game. Thank you. The Blame Game. And uh, we see back in Genesis, our first parents, Adam and Eve, didn't listen to God. Now we can't fault them or throw any stones at them because you've done the same thing. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we see what happened to them the moment they did. In Genesis 3-7, Genesis 3-7, when they ate of the fruit, the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. How many think that probably didn't look very good? Didn't do a very good job either. How durable is a fig leaf outfit? You don't want to get caught in the rain. You don't want to, don't want to stretch it too much. But uh, this is a picture of man's effort to clothe himself and take care of himself and fix his problem. It's pitiful. And uh, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They had never done this before. They had always met him and communed with him and something terribly different has happened. Verse uh, 9, the Lord God called to Adam. He said, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid, fear, because I was naked and I hid myself. Sin consciousness allows fear in. That's why in order to get rid of fear, we have to become righteousness conscious. We got to get rid of condemnation and guilt and shame in order to get rid of fear. You can't get rid of fear while keeping guilt. Can you see that, child of God? They hadn't had fear before. The reason they've got fear now is because of sin consciousness. Guilt, shame. Verse 11, the Lord said, who told you you were naked? You know, we should always ask ourselves what the Lord says about it. Because no matter what anybody else calls it, if the Lord doesn't call it that, we shouldn't care what they call it. They say, you're naked. And the Lord says, you're fine. Well, then I'm fine. Can you see what I'm saying? <laughs> Of course, he wasn't fine because he had lost his covering, but said, have you eaten of the tree wherever I commanded you that you should not eat? Of course, the answer was yes, I did, but that's not how he starts out. He said, the woman that you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. We see him trying to put the blame off of himself, trying to get the spotlight off himself and blaming his wife, and even God who gave him his wife. Trying to put the blame on them. And in verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And so we see this from the beginning, just a little bit later on, we see Cain blaming Abel for his own faults and mistakes. And got so mad he got to the point where he murdered him completely without justification. And we see over and over, we've seen examples where that, you know, um, Esau blamed Jacob. We see um, Sarah blamed Abraham. We see uh, Rachel blamed Jacob. I mean, there's examples of this all through the Word of God. It's what the enemy does. If you read in the book of Revelation, he is called the accuser of the brethren, said that he accuses us before our God night and day. The devil will never take responsibility for any mistakes of his own. He is unsavable because he will never repent. The worst thing that could happen to any being is a refusal to repent, a hardening of the heart and a refusing to repent because if you'll repent, and believe God can fix 
anything. But if you won't, you get to a place where God's not going to force us to repent or to acknowledge our mistakes. The Bible said in Proverbs 28:13, he that covers his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Repentance is a gift. Say that out loud. Repentance is a gift. Look in uh, 2 Timothy 2.25. We've touched on this. I want to say it again. 2 Timothy 2.25. He says in meekness. Instruct those that oppose themselves. Now other scriptures said. Considering yourself. Lest you also be tempted. In meekness instruct those. That are opposing themselves. If God peradventure. Will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now, there's been a lot of emphasis on grace in modern times, and I think part of that is good. Some of it, I think folks have taken one truth and excluded other truths. You can't just take one truth and ignore all other truths and preach it like it's the only truth in the Word of God. How many remember the scripture talks about study? To show yourself approved, a workman approved of God. Rightly dividing the word of God. How do you rightly divide the word with other word? And uh, one of the things here is that when we're talking about repentance, we're not talking about receiving condemnation or being quick to receive condemnation and shame. We're talking about being quick to acknowledge the truth. Quick to acknowledge the truth. It's not okay to hide and cover like Adam and Eve did. It's not okay to pretend you didn't make the mistake that you made. To try to say, well, yeah, but Jesus has already, you know, paid for that. And so why do I even have to say anything about it? Well, just because he paid for it doesn't mean you've received it. Do you hear this, child of God? If it's all based only on Jesus paying for it, then every human being on the planet will be saved, regardless of whether they believe or don't believe or worship false gods or whatever. Why? Because Jesus did pay the price for everybody on the planet. Didn't he? But is everybody going to be saved? According to the word, they are not. Why? Because even though he did it, he took it on himself, he bought it, he paid for it, and he made it available. He doesn't receive it for you. He doesn't make anyone believe it and receive it. And when you violate light, when you do what you know you shouldn't do, when you don't do what you know you should, your own heart will condemn you. That's not the Holy Spirit condemning you and bothering you. Come on, you start with me. How many would disagree that when you as a Christian miss it, your heart bothers you? Would everybody agree that as a Christian, I mean, you're, you're genuinely born again. You know you're on your way to heaven. You know your name's in the Lamb's book of life. You're confident if you died this moment, you go to be with the Lord. But if you miss it, Your heart bothers you. Well, that's not God condemning you. That's your own heart. Well, what do I do about that? How do I get that fixed? Do I just pretend it didn't happen? Is that how you fix it? Just ignore it. Pretend it didn't happen. There are people trying to do this. They're saying, oh, grace covers it all. You don't even need to talk about it. Just forget it. No. That's why the scripture says, if you'll confess it. Right? It's not that the Lord needs to do something else to pay for it. But you need to do something to receive. And how are you going to receive forgiveness and cleansing and righteousness restored if you're not even going to admit that you missed it? If you're not even going to acknowledge that you did anything wrong, there's nothing to receive for. Can you see the dilemma? And so the temptation is, like it was all the way back to the beginning... To hide it, to cover it, 
to pretend it didn't happen. You do not want to do that. God is not into anything phony or fake or hiding or lie or pretending. He is truth. Right? And one reason people do that is pride. Pride doesn't want to look bad. Pride doesn't want to admit that it missed it. That's why the devil will never repent. He's the proudest being there. He's always going to blame everybody else. And one of the biggest ones he blames is God himself. But he's a liar. He's a deceiver. His problems are not God's fault. It's his own fault. But he won't repent. But I will. Right? I'm not going to be like the devil. How about you? Somebody say, I'll repent. You know, when's the last time anybody heard you say, that's my fault. That's my mistake. Entirely my mistake. My fault. I repent. I apologize. Without any excuse or trying to blame anybody else, it shouldn't go too long without somebody hearing that. Now, you don't have to miss it every day like that or every week, but don't tell me you've gone your whole life. And nothing is your fault. (laughs) And don't tell me that all the troubles you've had is somebody else's fault. He said, in meekness instruct those that oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. The truth will make you free that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. You don't want to hide. You don't want to cover. You certainly don't want to lie and deceive. You don't want to pretend. You want to confess. You want to acknowledge. You want to admit. Not receiving condemnation. Just not denying the truth. Acknowledging the truth. But don't wallow in self-pity and condemnation and shame. Immediately when you acknowledge that you've missed it. Receive cleansing and washing. Receive from the fountain, hallelujah, filled with blood. Receive from the blood that never loses its power. Receive from the righteousness of God in Christ. And then, if you do it in faith, then the conscience bothering you will stop. There's only one thing in all the universe that can cleanse a conscience. Only one thing. The blood of the Lamb. Do you know it or not? Read Hebrews and you'll see what I'm talking about. Only one thing. He talks about in there how the blood of animals that they offered in the Old Covenant could not cleanse the conscience. All it could do was cover the sin till the next year. And they made more sacrifices to cover the sin. People even sing the songs wrong. You know, my sins are covered by the blood of the Lamb. No, your sins are washed away. Washed away. Somebody say, I'm clean by the blood of the Lamb. But now that you'll experience that if you are not hiding and covering and that kind of thing. Go with me, please, over to the book of Isaiah, the 38th chapter. Isaiah 38, 1. I want you to notice this tonight, please. It said, in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. Hezekiah was king, and he was a good king. Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, thus saith who? The Lord. Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Who said that? Well, if Isaiah is a real prophet, and if he didn't just make this up, He's just repeating what the Lord told him. And that's what we're to understand. The Lord himself said this. He told King Hezekiah, he said, get your affairs in order. You know, call your attorney and um, your family and make sure your stuff's ready. Now, you know, there's a whole thought here. The Lord said, uh, set your house in order. So I reckon it's right to set your affairs in order. And not leave a big mess for other folks to try to figure out. I mean, it's, it's wisdom and it's love. 
to get things fixed before you check out. And, and a lot of times people don't want to talk about it because, well, I'm not, I'm not going to die right now. Nobody said you had to die right now. <laughs> Doesn't mean you can't, you know, have some ideas in place and then you can modify it later if you want to. But he said, the Lord said, set your house in order because you're going to die. Now, when the Lord says you're going to die, well, maybe not. Have you read this? <laughs> Verse 2. <laughs> then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and did what? Prayed to the Lord. Keep going. He said, Lord, remember now, I beseech you how I've walked before you in truth and with the perfect heart, and I've done what's good in your sight. And he had. And Hezekiah wept sore. He's not ready to die. He wasn't that old. Keep going. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah saying, Go to Hezekiah and say, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David your father, I said you're going to die, and you're going to die. No. He said, I've heard your prayer. I heard your prayer. I saw your tears. Behold, I'm going to add to your days 15 years. Friends, things are not set in stone about what has to happen. Sometimes people will try to leave the impression that God has predetermined every detail and we really have nothing to do with it. Things are happening as it was predetermined. And this is just not what the Bible says. It's quiet in the house. Well, what about this? What happened here? The Lord told him he's going to die. Set your house in order. You're not going to live. You're going to die. Isaiah didn't say it. God said it. But then, in a very short matter of time, the Lord tells the prophet, go back to him. Tell him, uh, I heard your prayer. Does it pay to pray? And I saw your tears. What does that mean? He, he saw his heart. Hezekiah wasn't just praying a ritual religious prayer. He wasn't just quoting vain repetitions or counting beads or spinning a wheel. He got serious with God. He turned his face to the wall implying he couldn't see anything else. He wasn't thinking about anything else. He wasn't involved in anything else. And he focused on the Lord and he had a real serious talk with God. And he said, God, I'm paraphrasing now. I've been trying to do what you want me to do. Can't we talk about this? Apparently you can. I said, apparently you can. He said, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will add to your days 15 years. You know, the scripture says, uses a phrase that many have not wanted to think too much about, but it talks about the Lord repenting. That the Lord, we're talking about us repenting, but you'll find this phrase more than once, that the Lord repented, or the Lord repented himself. Let me read a couple of verses to you. Exodus 32, 14. Exodus 32, 14 says, The Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do to his people. Jeremiah 16, 13. Jeremiah 16, 13 says, Therefore will I cast you out of this land into a land. That, that's not the right one. What did I do? 2613, excuse me. 2613, I read it wrong. Now amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God and the Lord will repent him of the evil that he had pronounced against you. We read other scriptures that he said, I am the Lord, I change not. We read verses that said, God is not a man 
that he should lie, neither the Son of Man that he should repent. People take some scriptures like that and they will say, well, see there, there's contradictions. Uh, I mean, how can you even trust? No, you just find something you don't understand. God doesn't change in his goodness and what he is. His will doesn't change. But he's dealing with us according to what we're doing. And if we'll change, he can change some things that's going to happen with us. Can you see that or not? It's not written and set in stone. Unchangeable. We really do have a completely free will. He's not controlling us. We don't have to do what he wants us to do. We don't have to do the wrong thing. And even if you do the wrong thing for 30 years and you're about to go over the cliff in judgment, and even though that judgment's been coming against you for some time and it's imminent, if you'll change he can change it. Hallelujah. Anyway, what was he telling? He was telling Hezekiah, you might say it like this, under the present circumstances. The way things are, you're not going to make it, you're going to die. So you need to set everything in order because you're leaving here. But Hezekiah changed. I know that he did because of the rest of that 38th chapter. We'll see it in just a minute. He made some substantial changes. And when he did, God said, well, okay. All right. I can work with this. If you're going to do that, I'm going to extend your life another 15 years. So you're not dying right now. Did God change? No, he didn't change intrinsically. Hezekiah changed. And the Lord was able to change what was going to happen to him. Can you see that or not? Now that flies in the face of folks that are real adamant about predetermination. (laughs) But the Bible is the Bible. And it's right. And we shouldn't just grab a hold of one part and ignore other parts. If we don't understand it, let's just admit we don't understand it. But it's all true. All the verses are true. All the parts are true. Whether you can figure out how they work or not. They are true. And uh, something's going to bless you real big on that in just a minute here. But he said, uh, we just got through reading, if we would amend our doings, the Lord would repent him of the evil. Joel 2 and 12. Joel 2 and 12. He said, therefore also now says the Lord, turn you even to me with your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Now this is not just a change of mind intellectually. This is a heart change. This is being, you know, the Bible said, uh, some folks have tried to say, well, all repentance is, is just changing your thinking. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. The Bible talks about, he wrote to the saints at Corinth, that uh, godly sorrow works repentance. If you see that you have missed it, you should care. If you see you've really missed it and hurt people and done things you shouldn't have done and missed God and messed up opportunities, no, it's not about receiving condemnation and living in guilt and shame the next year or five or five days. It is, however, about being honest and admitting What happened? And not trying to blame anybody else, but taking full responsibility for it. And if you do, your heart's going to bother you. You're going to go, oh man, that caused them a lot of pain. That caused them a lot of trouble. And that was all me. I believed lies. I listened to the enemy. I didn't listen to people I should have listened to. I caused a lot of pain and a lot of problems. But you should care. You, you shouldn't go, ah, no biggie, you know. If I messed up their life, they'll get over it. That's not a right heart. Yeah, I think I may change my thinking next week about that, but okay, whatever. 
That's not okay. That means you don't care. You don't care enough about what God wants. You don't care enough about other people and what your actions are doing to them. No, godly sorrow. And that's where he says, he says, turn to me with all your heart. Everybody say all your heart. All your heart. And in this case, they were so far off. He said, you, you ought to do some fasting and crying and mourning. They were really way, way off and away from God. He said, rend your heart and not your garments and turn to the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repents him of the evil. He wants to change it if you'll change. Can you see this? He's always been that way. He never changes. Back to Isaiah 38. Verse, uh, we were at verse 5. Keep reading in verse 6. He said, uh, we'll read verse 5 again. He said, go say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I'll add to your days 15 years. So that again reveals it is not appointed unto man a time to die. That's a misquote of Scripture. The Scripture actually says it's appointed unto man once to die. There's not a, you know, 345 on a Wednesday afternoon and when it clicks to that, your number's up. <laughs> That's just not so. If you believe the Bible, there are things you can do that will shorten your days. There are things you can do that will add years to your life. We see this right here. He said, and I'll deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I'll defend this city. Boy, you're talking about having a good day now. They're having a good day. You're not going to die. You're getting your healing. The city's going to be delivered. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Is he a good God? Is he? Oh, he's a you, you go from you're dying to this. In what? Hours? Whew. Things can change. God doesn't change. But if we'll change, things will change. Keep reading. He said, this will be a sign to you from the Lord. The Lord will do this thing that he's spoken, that the Lord will do it. I'm going to bring again the shadow of the degrees, which has gone down in the sundial of Ahaz, 10 degrees backward. Now that, a lot of folks wouldn't dare to believe. They didn't have clocks like they do today, but they had sundials out in an open place where the sun would shine on it. And when the sun was a certain place in the sky, it would cast a shadow based on where the vein was, tell you what time it was by the shadow on the sundial. Well, the shadow on the sundial never went backwards. Never. Ever. I mean, today it'd be with us like our clocks going backwards, counterclockwise. 10 degrees. A lot of folks will say that, that can't happen. That can't happen. Do you understand? We're talking about the sun. We're talking about the solar system. Yeah, and we're talking about the one who made it. That's right. So I reckon if he made it, he would know how you could do that. And it's a choice whether you believe it or not. I believe it. And it happened. It said, so the sun returned 10 degrees by which degrees it was gone down. That is astounding. That's amazing. But it just shows who God is and what he is. And then it says Hezekiah, king of Judah, he made a writing when he was sick and was recovered of his sickness. And we got part of it right here. So let's read it. He said, I said in the cutting off of my days, I'll go to the gates of the grave I'm deprived of the residue of my years. That's what he said right after Isaiah told him, you're going to die. You're not going to make it. He said, man, I'm cut off. I'm getting, I'm getting deprived of the rest of my years. I said, I won't see the Lord in the land of the living. 
I won't behold man anymore in the habitants of this world. I'm leaving this world. Keep going. My age is departed. Removed from me as a shepherd's tent. I'm cut off like a weaver my life. Cut me off with pining sickness from the day to the night. Will you make an end of me? He said, I reckon till morning as a lion he'll break my bones. And from day even to night will you make an end of me? Like a crane or swallow I chattered. I mourned like a dove. My eyes fell looking upward. Oh, Lord. And then, you know, he made a change here. Instead of just complaining about it, he starts asking the Lord, undertake for me. Would you would help me? And we know from the previous thing, he turned his face to the wall and he pled his case. He said, God, I've been endeavoring to straighten this thing out. You know, they had had some real problems prior to his reign. And he had been getting rid of the idol worship. He had been doing what God told him to do. He said, I've been endeavoring to do what you told me to do. Undertake for me. Help me here. Verse 15. What shall I say? He's spoken to me. Himself has done it. That's, that's when he said, the Lord said, you're going to die. I'll go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. Oh, Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So wilt thou recover me. And make me to live. We get some pieces of what he was praying when he turned his face to the wall. He said, God, you, you can make me recover. You know, you can do anything. I don't have to die right now, do it. I mean, you can do anything. You can make me live. Verse 17. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but you have in love to my soul delivered it. From the pit of corruption, you have cast all my sins behind your back. So he must have repented. Can you see this? Or he wouldn't have been talking about any mistakes and sins that he made. He must have repented. Verse 18. For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot celebrate you. They that go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living... The living, he shall praise you as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known your truth. He's saying, I, I, I can't represent you in the kingdom and in this life if I die right now. But if I stay, I'll teach the kids about you. I, I'll praise you in the land of the living. Verse 20. The Lord was ready to save me. Oh, you ought to underline this. I said you ought to underline when was the Lord ready to save him? When he told him, you're going to die. He got this revelation out of this thing. He said the Lord was actually ready to save me. We, we, we read this uh, uh, last week in Jeremiah more than once, how the Lord said, I don't have any pleasure in the death of him that dies. He said, turn from your ways and live. Is that him or is that, is that him? Hezekiah got this revelation. He was ready to save me when he told me I was going to die. But it was up to Hezekiah to make the changes necessary for God to be able to change what was going to happen to him. People try to put it all off on God, but it just isn't so. Everything's not up to him. He's left some things up to us. Somebody say he was ready to save me. He said, therefore, I'm going to sing my songs. Hallelujah. All the days of my life in the house of the Lord. Well, he ought to. They're not going to have a funeral. It's going to be, it was delayed by 15 years. He said, when's a funeral? Well, it's, uh, so what would it be uh, 15 years from now? <laughs> Somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Go with me please. To the book of uh, Jonah. Jonah is just four little short chapters. If you haven't read it recently. I encourage you to read it again sometime. This uh, weekend or, or this week. Four little chapters. It, it take you. No time at all to read it. Four chapters. And you know what the theme of it is? Repentance and deliverance. And it's a picture 
also of what happened with Jesus. It's an amazing thing. When something is recorded for all time in the Word of God, it's never just about one thing. There are so many truths. It's like a diamond with so many facets. But let's begin in Jonah 1 and 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, Nineveh was the um, capital of Assyria. And for the day, it was a large city. It had hundreds of thousands of people. It was probably at least 30 miles across. Big city back for that time. And uh, he said, go to that great, it's what called a great city, big city, and cry against it. It'd be like, today it'd be like New York or Los Angeles, one of those kind of cities. Cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, if you read in the book of Nahum, you'll find that pretty much that whole little book is talking about Nineveh, this place right here. And I won't get into that, but it has to do with what happened with them later after all of this. But uh, they had been a wicked place for a long time. You can be sure if the Lord is saying this, and he's getting to the point where he has tried his patience, it's gone on long and bad. And he said, go cry against it. Verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish, which apparently on those uh, was one of the farthest outposts of, of where the shipping you know, traveled in those days. He went as far as he could away, the other direction. How many understand he was not the last one that ever ran from God and tried to go as far as he could and get away? Well, Jonah is a, a man of God. He's a prophet of God. Well, who's he supposed to be working for? God? And yet, he says, uh, no, I'm not doing that. And so, he obviously had some money. He paid for passage on this long trip. And they flee to Tarshish, went down to Joppa and found shipping going to Tarshish, to Joppa rather, and found shipping going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare. And he went down to it to go with them to Tarshish from, to get away from, the presence of the Lord, which is futile. <laughs> you can take the fastest plane or boat. You can go to the farthest corner of the uninhabited earth. You can hide behind a palm tree and God will say, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> and yet... Human beings are trying to do it all over the planet, trying to hide from God, trying to run from God. You'd have thought Jonah would have known better, but sometimes it's not that people don't know better, they just don't care. And so the Lord sent out a great wind to the sea, there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was like to be broken. It was creaking, it was groaning. And you think these timbers are going to snap just any time. It's bad. In verse 5, the mariners were afraid and cried every man to his God. So he's with a bunch here, isn't he? They all got different gods. And they cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea. Now you know it's serious because this is their cargo they get paid for to lighten it of them. But Jonah was going down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. In the middle of a typhoon. <laughs> so the shipmaster came to him and said to him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon your God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they came every one to his fellow and said, Come, let's cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots. Now, this is what they did before people had the Spirit and could be led by the Spirit. You'll see it happening all the way up to the beginning of the book of Acts. 
before the day of Pentecost, they cast lots about who would take Judah's place. And God was in it. God was in it. But since we've been filled with the Spirit, that's no more. We don't cast lots anymore. But the lot fell on Jonah. (laughs) And uh, they said to him, tell us, we pray you, for whose cause this evil is? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Uh, Who's your people? So they're grilling him. They're giving him the third degree. He said, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven, which made the sea. And all of them said, what? (laughs) The God that made the ocean? And he made the dry land too. What? What? Because they had gods for everything. You know, God for this and that and the other. Not one God that had it all. He said, no, my God made everything. He did what? Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, why have you done this? It's amazing how sinners and false God worshipers are telling him, you should have obeyed God. You should have. What did you do? <laughs> when they left port, they didn't even believe in God. Now you should obey God, you rascal, you. And uh, I said, why did you do this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them that he had. Keep reading. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. He said to them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm to you. For I know that for my sake, everybody say, for my sake. sake. Say it again, for my sake. sake. This great tempest is upon you. Who's taking responsibility for this whole thing? Jonah did not have to tell them what happened, that he was running from God. And knowing what a superstitious bunch this is, just out of trying to preserve your life, you would not have said anything that would have implied you might be responsible. Most, the vast majority of people would have not said a word, would have hid, would have lied, would have covered. He really is a man of God. How do we know it? He's completely honest. Can you see that? Completely honest. And he takes full responsibility for his mistake. Can you see this, child of God? He said, it's it's for my sake. It's because of me that this tempest is on you. Verse 13. They were so moved by his honesty and, and his humility of doing this. They tried to save him. They, they rode hard to bring it to land. They said, well, come on, let's, maybe we can get out of here. But it didn't work. They could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. I mean, there are these giant waves, and again, the boat is creaking. That's why they threw out all the cargo. It looked like it's going to sink just every other wave. Verse 14, they cried to the Lord and said, we beseech you, O Lord, we beseech you, let us not perish for this man's life and don't lay upon us innocent blood for you, Lord, have done as it pleased you. And they took him up and they cast him forth into the sea. Now, come on, do you get the picture? It was, I don't know if it was at night or if it was the daytime, but it was terrible. It was, it was, the sun wasn't shining. They're in a storm. They're in a hurricane a typhoon, whatever it was, and the waves. And you know, if you go overboard, that's it. And he's the one told them to throw me over. Do you see why I'm talking about this? What an example of humility. What an example. Now, we know from reading the rest of the story, this is not the end of Jonah. Why? Because if you'll confess your sin, come on, can you see that? And forsake it, you'll get mercy. Well, what if he had hid it? They'd have probably all drowned out there that morning. No probably about it. They would have. God would have had done something else. He could have many ways, but they picked him up. They threw him into the sea, and the sea 
got calm. Oh man, it scared everybody. Verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They thought, this is really true. Because the, the sea doesn't calm down that quick. From a storm to calm, it's raging and raging. And as soon as the preacher hits the way <laughs> and goes out of sight under the water, the wind quits blowing. The water comes down. A hush came across the deck of the boat. They're like, oh, this is true. This is real. And so they all offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows. When I get home, I'm going to go to church. <laughs> I'm going to quit lying and stealing. And, <laughs> and the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now there's people who try to say, you know, that's crazy. No human being could live on the insides of any kind of animal. Some said whale, some said fish, whatever. What, you're missing, I don't know that that's even true, just even making that statement. But the Lord prepared a great fish. I reckon if he prepared it, you could live on the moon for a month. Is that right? If God prepared it, he put a bubble in there where you could breathe and had some pressure. Don't miss that. God prepared. This was a specially prepared fish. <laughs> Just for Jonah. <laughs> and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And it is a type of Jesus being in hell. For three, it must have been awful. It must have been awful. It'd be hard for us to even imagine it. It'd be real dark. It'd smell bad. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. No matter how far down you go, no matter how stinky it is, is it possible to get out? Come on, help me out. What do you do? You look to God. You pray to God. You do what Hezekiah did. You turn your face to the wall. You don't see anything else but God. You get serious. No word games. No religious phrases. You pour out your heart. You rend your heart, not your garment. Come on, can you see this? You get real with God. And if you make some changes, then God will make some changes. He said, I cried by reason of my affliction to the Lord. And he heard me. Out of the belly of hell, I cried. It was bad. And you heard my voice. For one thing, we, we have no idea what kind of pressure he experienced because he talks about going down to the depths. He said, you cast me into the deep, into the midst of the seas. The floods compassed me about. All your billows and waves passed over me. So he went deep. Keep reading. Then I said, I'm cast out of your sight. He's thinking, God can't even see me now. I'm so deep, but that wasn't true. Yet I'll look again towards your holy temple. The waters compassed me about even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The pressure down miles deep is thousands of pounds per square inch. If God hadn't have prepared it, I don't know how deep he went. But The weeds were wrapped about my head. This is a bad situation. <laughs> I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. Well, excuse me, we do know how deep he went. This is miles deep. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet have you brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Now get this, they that observe what? Lying, vanities. Now some people will translate this idols. And so there are some places it is translated idols, but not everywhere. You should leave the word what it said. Vanities, vanity is a useless thing. If you just want to be what the definition is, lying uselessness, they do what? They forsake their own mercy. Isn't that what we've seen with Esau? 
failing of the grace of God. Isn't that what we've seen with other situations? If you observe lying, hiding, covering, vanity, useless things, you will forsake your own mercy. But if you confess it, if you acknowledge it, if your heart is to repent and believe and turn, you'll have mercy. You'll get mercy. God resists the proud, but he gives his grace. Oh, somebody say, thank God for his grace. With enough grace, you can get out of anything. With enough grace, grace is God's help, his strength, his ability, his favor, his power. With enough grace, you can receive anything. You can overcome anything. You can come through anything victoriously with enough grace. But the only ones that get his grace are not the proud, but the humble. The humble are honest. Not lying vanities, but the truth making you free. Verse 8, verse 9 rather. I'll sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I'll pay that which I have vowed. So he made some commitments in the belly of the fish. He repented. He changed his mind about running from the presence of the Lord. He changed his mind about preaching in Nineveh. And it wasn't just a, sure, I'll do it. No, uh, seaweed was choking his head. He was very serious about this. And he was repentant about what he had done. He said, I'll sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay what I have vowed. In other words, you get me out of here, I will do what I, I told you I would do. Salvation is of the Lord. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land, which was so much better than 100 miles out to sea. So many things had to happen for him to even survive. Is this amazing or what? And so the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. (laughs) You know, God never changes. And he said, get up. Does that sound familiar? Go to Nineveh. That great city, I mean, it's almost verbatim. Preach to it the preaching that I bid you. And verse 3, this time Jonah did what? He got himself up and he went to Nineveh. You know, there's easy ways to learn and there's hard ways to learn. And according to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. That's why we told you that earlier. It's a some say about 60 miles in circumference, which would be, you know, about 30 miles across. But Jonah began to enter to the city a day's journey. So, you know, it's a big city because he walked for a day and is not through it. And he said, now, you know, he didn't rent an auditorium. They're not having a revival meeting at the church. He just starts out on the street corner and he says, just 40 days, and Nineveh's going to be overthrown. What's that, an eight-word message or something? Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And uh, that's what he preached. And he'd go to another corner, he'd say it again. Go to another corner, he'd say it again. He said, 40 days, and this place is going to be overthrown, or we could say destroyed. And verse 5 So the people of Nineveh believed God. Now this is why this is in the book. You wouldn't think so. From what our experience in the world today. You wouldn't think you'd go to a massive city. Any man or woman of God. And you stand on the corner and say. In two months this city is going to be destroyed. We would expect in many places to be laughed at, mocked, jeered. They might show you on the news as a funny thing to laugh at. Any number of things. But the people, the whole city, this spread through the city like wildfire. And they believed it. They believed it was God. They believed it was going to happen. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. What is this? This is repentance. Repentance. And uh, verse 6, 
the word came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne. He laid his robe off from him. He covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. What's he doing? He's repenting. And keep, keep going. He caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and nobles. And he said, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. What? We're going to fast. The cows are going to fast. The sheep going to fast. Dogs and cats going to fast. Are they serious about this thing? You see why this is in the Bible. I mean, it's, this is an astounding thing. We must preach and teach the truth. You don't know who will believe it. You, you may see case after case where people scoff and mock, and you've got to watch about getting you know, jaded by that and, and thinking, well, you know, they won't listen, they won't believe. You don't know that. I said, you don't know that. You need to, to say it and be the witness and testify or preach and teach, if that's what you're called to do, with all expectation of people believing. And if they don't, well, then they don't, but you don't give up. You say, next, somebody will believe this, right? And there will be times where you will be pleasantly astounded, where people will just embrace it. And they'll go, I believe it. Why? Because they're honest in their heart. And their spirit tells them this is true. Because it is. He caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. And he proclaimed that fast. Verse 8. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yea, let every, everyone turn everyone from his evil way. That is the definition of repentance. Turning from the wrong turning to God. Does this sound similar to what happened with Jonah in the belly of the fish? That's why I said this whole little book is about repentance and miracle deliverance. He said, let everyone turn from the evil, his evil way and from the violence that in his hands. We, he said, I want crime to go to zero. Now. We're about to be destroyed. The whole city's about to be destroyed in less than two months. I want the crime rate to go to zero. Nobody eating, nobody drinking. You get serious and you pray to God. You seek God. See if we can get this changed. What had the man of God said? 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In the same way, that the prophet told Isaiah, set your house in order. You're not going to live. You're going to die. But what are they trying to change? They, they must not believe it's inevitable. Verse 9. He said, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? He said, maybe we, we can change it. And this is wiser than a lot of people in the church. This was a heathen king. Verse 10, keep going. God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he said that he would do to them and did it not. This is astounding. It's amazing what God will forgive when people repent. It's amazing how radically things can change and how quickly they can change. When you genuinely have a heart change and it shows up in your actions. Keep reading. It displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry. Can you see? We've already read through three-fourths of the book of Jonah. Can you see this? I told you it was small. It did what with Jonah? A preacher's not happy when the whole city believes his preaching and acts on it like one man? Preachers are people too. They don't always think right. Just because you're called and anointed doesn't mean you're right about everything you think. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was very angry. 
He's really upset about this. He prayed to the Lord. He said, I pray you, Lord, wasn't this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore, that's why I fled for Tarshish. That's why I ran, because I knew. (laughs) He did know God. I knew you're a gracious God. You're merciful. You're slow to anger and of great kindness, and you'll repent you of the evil. I knew. I get over here. I tell them this. They repent, and nothing happens. My prophecy is a dud. People can mock me and say, oh, he's a false prophet and this and that. That's why he ran. Because he knew how merciful God is. Can you hear that phrase, what Hezekiah said? He said, the Lord was ready to save me. Can you see why, if he wants Nineveh destroyed, then you don't send anybody to warn them. Did anybody hear this or not? If you want them destroyed, you don't send anybody to warn them. Why warn them? Before he ever told Jonah to go, he wanted to save them. Can you see that? He didn't want them to be destroyed. That's why he sent Jonah. I won't read the rest of the chapter. It's not very many verses. Unless you want to. You want to read it? Well, let me finish. Then we can say we did the whole thing. <laughs> what did y'all do Friday night? We read the book of Jonah. In the service? Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, whole thing. We're a word church. We like the word. He said, oh Lord, I beseech you. Take my life from me because it's better for me to, to die than to live. He's really upset about this. Notice this now. Why didn't he just take his own life? He knew it wasn't his to take. Are you listening, child of God? You should never think it's your prerogative to take your life or not. You didn't create yourself, you've been bought with a price. Your spirit and your body belong to God. And before you blow a hole through its head or or cut its throat or or hang it or whatever you do, you better ask him. And if you listen, he'll tell you no. You are not your own. Come on, say, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I belong to the Lord. Keep reading. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and he sat on the east side of the city, made him a booth, sat under the shadow that he might see what would become of the city. I reckon he's still hoping (laughs) they'll slip back into their evil ways and they'll get zapped. And so he's off outside the city limits, you know, so it don't get him. So he's he's watching. Verse 6, the Lord God prepared a gourd made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. This is a plant. But God prepared a worm the next morning, rose up the next day, and it smote the gourd, and it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did rise, God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on the head of Jonah, and he fainted and wished in himself to die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. He's hot. He's really hot. He's passed out. He came to. He's sad. He's upset. Verse 9. God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the gourd? He said, I do well to be angry even to death. Yes. The Lord said, you had pity on a gourd, which you didn't labor for. You didn't make it grow. It came up in a night and it perished in a night. Should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? He said, there's there's more than 120,000 kids there, children, 
not old enough to know the difference between right and left. And there are all these cattle and livestock. You know, God cares about that too. And basically he said, you care more for a gourd than you do those 120,000 children. But it ends with them not being destroyed. And I reckon even Jonah made it out to sail another day. Maybe he vacationed in Tarshish. I wouldn't know all that was over. I, I don't know, but he might have just stayed away from ships for a while. <laughs> Stand up, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.